Well, here we are on the third Sunday of Advent. Somehow we're already just a week from Christmas Eve. And so as I prepared to preach today, I found myself reflecting on my experience of Advent thus far. One of the beautiful things about the church year is that even though it repeats itself again and again, we are always changing. And so for us, no two liturgical seasons are alike. And what has struck me about this particular Advent is the diversity of emotion I've been feeling. Closest to the surface is an abundance of gratitude and elation around my recent ordination to the priesthood. I am so thankful to you all and to so many who have accompanied me on this journey for your prayers and love and presence these past few weeks, and also thrilled to experience what it's like to inhabit the role of priest after all these years of formation and discernment. I have to admit, too, to feeling at least a little overwhelmed as I navigate my first holiday season as both cleric and parent of young children. (laughs) And alongside it all, there is a pervasive sense of devastation at so many of the truly horrifying things that are currently happening in the world. But I imagine I'm not alone in trying to hold a lot of complicated and conflicting feelings in this moment. I'm acutely aware that this time of year can be very stressful for those navigating complex family and relational dynamics. And for those contending with a difficult diagnosis or the loss of a loved one, it can be downright excruciating. But no matter our emotional location this Advent, today, on the third Sunday, the day known as Gaudete Sunday, or Rejoicing Sunday, we light the candle of joy. When Advent finds us in a difficult season of life, as it will for each of us at some point, the ubiquitous association of the holidays with joy can feel like somewhat cold comfort. And we might all reasonably ask how it is appropriate or even possible to think about joy when injustice, violence, and suffering are so pervasive in the world around us. But I think the truth is that joy, not commercialized holiday joy, but the joy we celebrate this Gaudete Sunday, isn't really a feeling, at least not in the sense that happiness and sadness and overwhelm are. It's more of something we do, something we intentionally cultivate. Joy is, at its heart, a spiritual discipline, the discipline of knowing and naming the ultimate truth of God, together with the more immediate circumstances of our lives and of the world. And when these circumstances are kind of terrible, as they often are, we are called to cultivate joy not just in spite of them, but because of them. In a recent episode of their podcast, and also with you, the reverends Lizzie McManus-Dale and Laura DePanfilo suggest that it is especially important in times of great despair and injustice to practice the spiritual discipline of joy. This does not mean rejoicing that injustice exists. What it does mean is holding God's ultimate vision for all people, 
a vision defined by freedom, connection, and love, a vision that is joy made manifest in tension with the injustice that currently <coughs> exists. We hear this tension today in the words of Isaiah. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance for our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. Most scholars think these words date from around the time of the Israelites' return from 70 years of exile in Babylon, a return to a temple that has been destroyed and a homeland that looks nothing like the one they left behind. In addition to processing the collective trauma of more than a generation of exile, the Israelites must contend with the fact that, at least from Isaiah's perspective, it was their own failure to deal justly with the poor and marginalized that got them evicted in the first place. In response to the injustice that infected and irreparably altered their common life, it would be easy to get stuck in shame and despair. And yet they respond with a transcendent articulation of what is possible, with a vision of justice that is both rooted in joy and that seeks ultimately to result in it. Likewise, the omnipresent injustice in our world deserves our sadness, our anger, and the recognition of our complicity in the systems that perpetuate it. But for us as Christians, true solidarity with the marginalized requires that we be grounded in the knowledge of the abundant life that God intends for all of us. It requires that we be grounded in joy. It is admittedly hard work to turn on the news and attempt to practice joy. But it might be even harder, one of the hardest things we can do, to practice joy when the bottom falls out of our own lives when we are in the depths of grief and despair. Cultivating joy in the midst of our suffering can be tricky to talk about, because it's easy to confuse it with what I think is a cheap theological trope of framing the suffering itself as ultimately beneficial or productive. When they address this in their podcast, the reverends Laura and Lizzie reference an internet meme that I've appreciated for a long time because it captures this theology so well. It consists of a painting of a group of Christians in an ancient Roman arena who are seconds away from being fed to a hungry pack of lions. And across the top, in big block letters, it says, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. <laughs> Maybe you, too, have been in a really hard place and had someone say that your pain will make you stronger or help you grow. Now, this may eventually end up being true. It has been for me. But whether it does or it doesn't, there is nothing redemptive about suffering when we're going through it, and we don't need to put a positive spin on it. What we can do, though, is notice and embrace the joy that occasionally but inevitably breaks through, 
through the small things that still make us laugh, through the moments when our enduring connection to someone we've lost feels real and palpable, through the people in our lives who are willing to come alongside us in our suffering and simply be present. Because the truth, impossible though it often feels, is that in the long game, it is this joy that will prevail. And when we find ourselves in the wilderness, these tastes of joy are gifts from God to get us through. John the Baptist, who we hear from yet again in today's gospel, spends essentially his whole life in the wilderness, both literally and figuratively. In his determination to speak truth to power, he commits to a life on the margins, a life of hunger, discomfort, and loneliness, a life that comes to an untimely and distinctly unpleasant end. And yet we can hear the joy in John's words. Make straight the way of the Lord, he proclaims, of the one who is coming after me. For John, joy is rooted in the light to whom he testifies the light that shines in the darkness and that the darkness does not and will not overcome. This joy does not mitigate, sanctify, or redeem his suffering, but it does point to the ultimate reality that exists alongside it, the reality that through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, pain, grief, and death will ultimately be no more. This is the good news even in moments when it feels difficult to believe. But there's another piece of good news, and that's that wherever we find ourselves in relationship to joy, we're never there alone. Because if joy is the truth of the connection that each of us shares with God, a connection that not even death can take away, then joy is what knits us together as the body of Christ. And so joy is something that we experience in community. This means that in seasons when joy feels inaccessible to us, when the fundamental reality of God feels too distant or simply too improbable to accept, the people around us can hold it for us, for however long it takes us to pick it up again. It also means that when we are joyful, our joy is reflected and magnified in relationship. After Mary consents to carry God's son into the world, she travels to the home of her cousin, Elizabeth, who the angel has told her is pregnant with John the Baptist. Deep in their bodies, they sense their connection to one another and to God's unfolding plan. John leaps for joy in utero when he hears Mary arrive. Elizabeth, who could have thrown Mary out of her house for being unmarried and pregnant, responds to John's movement and blesses her instead, addressing her as the mother of the Lord for the very first time. And that's when Mary bursts forth ecstatic with the Magnificat, this exuberantly joyful expression of confidence in God's ultimate victory over death-dealing systems. When we hear the Magnificat as part of our liturgy, as we have today, we usually hear it by itself, and it does stand alone. But Mary isn't alone when she says it. It's a product of the connection she shares with Elizabeth, with John, with the baby just beginning to grow inside her. So too is our joy enabled and amplified by the presence and witness we offer to one another as members of the body of Christ. 
I want to close by acknowledging that the invitation to cultivate joy is not without risk. Brene Brown writes that joy, even more so than fear or shame, is the most vulnerable emotion that we can feel. It is, she says, beauty and fragility and deep gratitude and impermanence, all wrapped up in one experience. An experience that is often difficult to tolerate because we know just how easily it can be taken away. But one final bit of good news is that we can be vulnerable in the face of joy. Because in doing so, God is both our pattern and our companion. After all, the joy that we celebrate today comes to us in the most vulnerable form possible, in the form of a baby, that we might know tangibly the God who will one day wipe away every tear from our eyes. And so wherever we find ourselves this Advent, I pray that this joy might be there with us. If we are joyful, may God shield and protect us. If we are in the pit, may God comfort and sustain us. And may we all hold for one another and for a world in pain the truth that joy will have the final word. Amen. The Chapel of the Cross is an Episcopal church in the heart of Chapel Hill and the university community. Find out more at thechapelofthecross.org. There you can find our latest news and events, connect with our pastoral care team, Faith in Action Ministries, and offer a prayer request. You can also find us on social media, on Instagram at The Chapel of the Cross, and on Facebook and Twitter at C-O-T-C Chapel Hill. May you be nourished by the word to serve in the world.